Good morning. My name is Don. I'm excited to be here, and I fail all those tests. I was never good as a kid, so I don't know which, how you answered that, but it's like, whoo, I feel like I've been to church this morning. My goodness. If, like, if that last song doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. Let me just tell you that right now. We are in the book of Revelation um, as we go through the journal, fifth chapter of Revelation today. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, I love this chapter. I love this chapter, and I'll tell you why. A number of years ago, we were pastoring up in the state of Washington, and um, there was an elderly lady in the church, and she was in a hospital and got a call um, that she had died. And so we're like, oh, no. And then, like, the, later that afternoon, we got a call, a false alarm. She's alive. And um, it's like, okay, that's interesting. And, and um, it took her about 10 more days before she finally went, went to be with the Lord. But in that 10-day span, we went and visited her, one of the associate pastors and myself, and she, she said, I, she goes, I, I think I died. I don't know. I at least had a near-death experience, she said. And you hear, you hear this every now and again as a pastor. She said, I, I think I saw heaven. And um, usually when people tell me that, I roll my eyes in the back of my head without them seeing it. And I'm going, oh, no, here, here it comes. She's probably going to write a book or a movie, and we're going to watch that. And, you know, all these weird things and it's horrible to be pastor and be cynical, but it's kind of my spiritual gift. It's what, it, it's what happens after hanging around people like you for 40 years. But <laughs> So she described some of the stuff, and it was, it was pretty interesting. She's not, she wasn't what I would, you know, she wasn't flaky or crazy. She was in ministry. Her, her, her husband was a pastor for many years, and she described some different things, but one thing that caught my attention, she said, Don, you know what? People think of heaven as a, like, a long way off, like a, a far travel into outer space. She goes, you would be amazed how close heaven is. She said, it's more like just taking a curtain and pulling it back, and heaven's right there. It's, like, it's just like it's another dimension. And... That's not really completely crazy when you think about it. Our, our culture is, is kind of into this alternative um, reality stuff, you know, like Stranger Things. Have you ever watched that? I watched the first one. The second one scared me, so I quit watching it. But um, <laughs> Matrix is like that where what you see is not necessarily what, what you get. There's another alternative. Well, John in the book of Revelation doesn't necessarily describe an alternative reality he describes ultimate reality. He, in the book of Revelation, pulls back the curtain and lets us see what is really unseen. So all that we see and all that we experience on a certain level informs us on a certain level. But he says, hang on before, <clears throat> before you make all these conclusions. If you could just get a glimpse of what, it, of what ultimate reality is like. I mean, with that last song, I, I, I kind of felt like DeAndre and the worship team was pulling back the, the curtain of heaven. I mean, that was, that was so awesome. And I think that's what Revelation chapter 5 does. So I don't know if you have your Bibles with you. I didn't put this whole chapter on the screen, but I want to read it to you. 
You'll let this song go through your, your, your spirit as you hear these words or read along if you want to in your, in your own copy. John says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who's worthy to break the seals and to open up the scroll? But no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because there was no one found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it, if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. This is his description of Jesus, the lion and the lamb. He says he has seven horns, seven eyes, which there are seven spirits of God sent out into all the, the earth. Now, don't get all freaked out on that. Horn, horns are, are um, um, a symbol of authority, of power. So this lamb has seven horns. Seven is the perfect number. So it's like seven means perfect power. He's omnipotent, if you will, all-powerful. Seven eyes, eyes re reflect knowledge and wisdom. He sees all things. He has, he has perfect knowledge. He's omniscient. He's, om, he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. And the spirits, the seven, it's the perfect spirit. The spirit that God has sent is, is perfect and whole that he sends out to the, to the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And they are holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You wonder where your prayers go. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take this scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe, every language, every people and every nation. You've made them to be kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Then they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And the living creatures in this room said, amen. I mean, what a great, what a great view of ultimate reality. Ruth Graham Lotz, the daughter of Billy Graham, wrote a book on Revelation. In it, she asks an interesting question. 
She said, what would it be like, I wonder, if we could go and, and we could have an interview with all the, the characters in the Bible, all the, all the people in the Bible, and, and ask them this question. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Abraham, you left comfort of, of your home and, and you took your wife and off on this journey. You didn't know where it was going and God said, just go. I'll tell you when you get there. And he had promises of, of, of children and promises of, of this unbelievable blessing and covenant. And you finally got there, but you never really fulfilled, got all the fulfillment of the promise. Abraham, you, was it worth it? Was it worth it to you? Moses, was it worth it? You left the pleasures and the treasures of Egypt and all the prestige and power of the most powerful nation on the earth and you went off into the wilderness and you, you identified with this ragamuffin little group of Jews and you went back and you helped them get away from Pharaoh in Egypt and you took them for 40 years on a journey into the promise trying to find the promised land and they complained and murmured and griped and moaned the whole time and you carried them on your back and you got them through all this and then you got right at the brink of the promised land. They went in and you did not. God wouldn't let you. Was it worth it, Moses? Jeremiah, was it worth it? Was it worth it to you? Preached and preached and preached and preached, not one convert. Not one life change. You had, a, you had a Bible study and nobody would show up. You were known as the weeping prophet. That's how sad and sorry your life was in that ministry. What, was it worth it, Jeremiah? Mary, was it worth it when you conceived a child out of wedlock? Found out it was the son of God. And then he, he says when he, he's grown up, hey, my family are those who do the will of, of me more so than just my relatives. And then you watched him get beaten and tortured and taken to a cross and hung on a cross to die. Mary, was it worth it? John, was it worth it in your old age to be exiled on this island when you could have been home on, with a fire and a, surrounded by your children and grandchildren and yet you are, you are surrounded by a Roman guard? Hearing a message from God. Was it worth it? I wonder if we turn that question to you, to me. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to serve the Lord? Is it worth it to, to give financially when others never do? They use their money for themselves and they have all this stuff. If you didn't have to give financially, you'd have so much more, perhaps, you think. And is it worth it to do that sacrifice? Is it worth it to serve, to get involved? And it seems like the harder you work sometimes, the, you're, no one even knows it. Maybe you're misunderstood. Maybe no one appreciates what you do. Others maybe get accolades that you never do and you just continue to, to serve the Lord. Is it worth being obedient in a culture that's so opposite of so many things that God's word talks about? Is it obedient? Is it obedient to, to tell the truth when it looks like a lie might get you off a little bit further down the line? Is it worth, is it, worth it to come to church? You could be a thousand other places. 
Is it worth it? A couple weeks ago, I had one of those mornings. It actually was a whole day. I hate to admit it, it was two days. <laughs> and everything, it just seemed like everything was just caving in on me. Things I wanted to see accomplished were not getting accomplished. I was hearing things about people in some churches that just devastated my, my emotions. I, I, was, I was upset because I'm, you know, I'm getting older and I've, I've got a spinal cord injury and I, you know, God, how come in this stage of my life I'm like this? And I got the woe is me, poor little me, old. And uh, a bunch of, bunch of questions I had. But that question just kept on ruminating with me. Is it worth it? God, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I think the message that came to me and the message that I would say I stake my life on and I would give to you today is that one day the curtain will be rolled back and the one who sits on the throne will make eye contact with me and with you. And it, it, won't be, it won't be worth it because of what he helps us accomplish, what helps me accomplish, or what my bank account looks like, what, what my, my state of emotion is even all about. It, it'll just be where I can view the one who is represented as the lion and the lamb, the lion who rules and reigns, the lamb who was slain for my sins, who paid the ultimate price, to look them, him in the eye and just know he is so worthy. He is so worthy of everything. He is so worthy of all my sacrifice. He's so worthy of all my attention. He's so worthy of all my worship, all my adoration, all my love, all the all the suffering that maybe I go through or the pain that I go through, all the diligence, all the hard work, all, he's so worthy of that that if I had a thousand lives to give to him, I'd give it more because he is just so worthy of that. That he is the one who understands it and knows it and, and rules and reigns on it and has paid the price. It's worth it. There'll be one day there will not even be a question in my heart about is it worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely it was worth it. Absolutely. In this chapter, it starts off with a scroll. I mentioned this last week that the scroll basically is, is uh, all, the, all the purpose and the mission and the meaning of life. It's, it's life as God created it and intended it to be. It it's answers all our questions. It makes sense of everything. It's God's story in the vernacular of, of our church here. It's God's story and how we fit in it. It's God's story and how he, he redeems the broken and the, the sinful and the, and the, and the, the, the empty and the, the, the bondage of, of, of sin and all how he redeems all that and how he puts it back and makes everything right and he sets it all back so there's no more tears 
and no more trials and no more suffering and, and his kingdom and his glory. And, and, and it's, it's, it answers all the why questions. Why, 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 why? I was going, why, why, why? It, it answers it all. In that book, John sees it and he goes, if someone could just get a hold of that book and read it and let us know what's in it, there'd be hope because, man, right now, I look around at the world. He's looking around the Roman Empire that's destroying everybody and tearing everything up and killing off Christians and boiling them and throwing them the lion. Our faith means if, if we could just get a hold of what, what is God doing? What's he thinking about this whole thing? And he looks around and no one can open it. No one. From heaven, from earth, below it, no one. And he's just thinking I'm stuck. We're stuck. This is horrible. There's absolutely no hope. I'm not sure all the stuff we even believe is any good. There, and no one, no one can answer, straighten it out. And he just starts to weep. He just weeps and he weeps. And one of the, one of the angels comes down and says, hey, wait, 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 don't cry. Quit your, quit your weeping, John. There's someone who can open it. Who not only can open it and read it and understand it, but fulfills it. Who makes it happen? Who's worthy? The only person worthy to be able to open that up and read it and live it. There's one. You kind of know him as a lamb, but in this book, he's the lion. You know him as, as the one who, who was slain, the, the Jesus who was born in the little nativity scene that we're going to celebrate in a couple months and who walked this earth and did nice things and did miracles and taught well and, and he, was, he was Messiah, he was Lord and you know him as the one who went to the cross but let me introduce to you now the one who, who rules and reigns. He's more of a lion. This is a lion. And he's conquered. So he can open things up. Ah, this, this changes the whole conversation. And they start to see that people are bowing down before this magnificent lion lamb and starting to sing, worthy, worthy. Songs that we sang today, words that we sang today. He's worthy, he's worthy. I want to just give you some word pictures real quick this morning of his worthiness, if you will, if you want to hang with me. That, that just helps me understand that it'll be worth it all for us because of what he's done. First one is he's worthy because he was slain. Verse nine says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you are slain. You are worthy because you are slain. That's a, that's a weird term. And we don't talk about being slain a lot or slaughtered. But it's an Old Testament term that refers to the sacrificial animals that would come into the temple. The priest would, would pray a prayer. They would, they would basically symbolically cast their sins on this animal that was sacrificed. We, we use the term now scapegoat, who, who has all the sin thrown on it. This, this goat, this, this lamb, this whatever it would be, ox, takes all the sin. They sacrifice it and, and burn it as incense up to heaven. God hears the prayers, takes that, gives forgiveness to his people. Those animals, after a while, were born to be slaughtered. That was their lot in life. They would continue to go to the temple and they'd perform this function. 
when Jesus comes, John the Baptist, who's a forerunner of Jesus, points him out one day and says, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. The Lamb of God who is going to have all the sin thrown on him, slaughtered once and for all, slain once and for all, that we might be free, forgiven, and brand new. He's worthy because he takes upon him all the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, all of it. We think of Jesus sometimes as a martyr because he went to the cross, he died, he was slain. He's not just a martyr. There are a lot of martyrs throughout history. Some that have been tortured longer than Jesus. Some who have defiantly or even joyfully faced death. Jesus was not just a martyr, he didn't just die. When in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's bleeding like drops of blood. He's, ang- he's in anguish and agonizing so much so. Why, because he's afraid of death? No. He doesn't like the embarrassment that brings? No. He pleads, God, take this cup from me. What is the cup? The cup is the, the cup of judgment. It's, it's all the sins of the world. It's this holy God who said, I can't, I can't look upon sin. Take this cup. I don't want to drink the cup, but he, but he does. He drinks it. Both hands gulping, taking all the sin. So every time when, when you sin or you have a season of sin and you feel remorse or you feel regret or you missed opportunity or, man, I broke the heart of my parents or I broke the heart of my spouse or all, all, all the regret that we can feel, multiply that over and over and over and over and over again. Even in one man's life is more than, than someone can hold up under. Take, take all the sin of one person and multiply it by the thousands and by the hundreds of thousands and by the billions of all the sin in the world of all of history. And Jesus has taken that upon himself. And Paul said, it's he who knew no sin, who never ever was separated from God, who never had a shadow of sin in them before. Now he has all the sin on his world. It just, just poured out on him. The agony of that. So that you might go free. He who knew no sin become sin for our sake so that when we face the judgment throne we don't receive judgment with Jesus in our life all we receive is the smile of God is that great or what for all the sin that we've accomplished God doesn't look at that he looks at the righteousness of Jesus and we just see his smile, his acceptance. Why is, why is this lamb worthy? He's worthy because he was slain. Why is he worthy? He's worthy because he was ransomed for many. He gave his life. With your blood you purchased men, verse 9 says, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them a kingdom and a priest to serve and reign on earth. Mark 10, 45, it says, the Son of Man, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That term ransom is very well known to the people in those days especially. It's used in the, in the context of a, of a slave that has a price to be freed. So in those days, if your family or tribe or nation was taken over in war, you would, you would very likely become a slave You could be free if someone could just pay the price, pay the ransom price. The problem is you would never have enough earning power to ever pay the price on your own. Some some people were fortunate enough 
that somebody might come and, and buy your, your ransom. But more than likely, if you were a slave, you would die a slave. Your whole family would be a slave. And Jesus comes, and he frees us from the slavery of sin. He frees us from the bondage of brokenness that we have. And he pays the price to set us free. Have you ever seen that, that movie um, Schindler's List? You know what I'm talking about? It's been out a while now. It's, it's not an easy movie to watch. It's long, it's black and white, and it's gut-wrenching. Main character is Oscar Schindler. It takes place during World War II. And he sees this whole race of people that are just being destroyed and devastated. And he has some means, he has some money, and he has a factory that he can use as a refuge. And he tries to, he just wants to save as many people as he can from the Nazis. And uh, one, one poignant moment, he, he has this group coming that, to his factory that he's going to give refuge to. And their wives and children are in a boxcar heading somewhere to destruction guarded by the Nazis. And he goes up to one guard and he has a little pouch and he lays out some diamonds and he says, I, I want to buy those people. I want to buy those people in that boxcar and reunite them with their family. I mean, an amazing story as he, as he continues to do this. When the war's all over and the concentration camps are emptied out, there, there are survivors that start to gather and it, there's hundreds of survivors that start to gather around him thanking him for his sacrifice and for helping them and, and saving them. And, and he, he's, he's overcome with the emotion of, of the joy of the people that he saved. And then he's overcome with the emotion of, of how many people died. And he says this, I could have done more. I could have done more. I could have sold my car. He pulls off some jewelry. I, I could have sold this jewelry. I could have bought another life or two, he says. I'd give up everything to buy every life I can. That heart is the heart of the lamb. That's the heart of our God. I'd, I'd, I'd pay the greatest price in the world to ransom every life I can. Peter, in the first chapter of his writings, the Apostle Peter, verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from an empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Redeemed from an empty way of life. It took the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins, we say? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He's worthy because he ransomed us. Finally, he's worthy because he conquered. So when no one could open the scroll, all was lost. John's weeping over the, the situation of humanity and of, of his own personal life, I would imagine, as well. One of the elders said, John, verse 5, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of, the root of David, this Messiah, 
He's triumphed. He's conquered. He's won. Yes, he went to the cross. Yes, he was slaughtered and slain, taking the sin upon our sin upon himself that we might be free. Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he purchased with his own blood, his blood pouring out. Not that we'd be slaves or other workers or people to be taken advantage of, but that we'd be children of God. We'd be his family. Yes, he did all that, but he resurrected again. He won over death. He had victory over sin. All the brokenness. He comes back and he has victory over that. He is the conqueror. And Paul later on says, hey, guess what? Because of who he is, we are more than conquerors because of what he can do for us. Take hope. Take heed. This God is not just a lamb that was slain. This is the lion who wins. I, I get so excited over that to all of a sudden start to recognize this is not just baby Jesus we're talking about. This is King Jesus. This is King Jesus. And although we enjoy the, the lamb that was slain, all that he's done, when we see him again, we're seeing the lion. And that we can live this life differently because of who he is. We like, we like I, I mean, how do you not like the idea that your sins are forgiven, that you put it on him. Let, him, let him take that. How do we not like that his blood has purchased a place for us in his family? How do we not like that he's not ruling and reigning? He's on the throne. Here's our problem. You always knew that there's gonna be a but, right? Here's our problem. We all sit on our own little throne. We accept the first two, but the third one, in our head we say yes, but don't let, your, don't let your kingdom and your throne mess up my kingdom. My pitiful little kingdom, but I rule and reign it. And so I call the shots. I define what my values are. I define what life is. I'll tell you how to live my life, my time, my resources, my money. I'll tell you how to do it. I'll, I'll identify who I am sexually. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what my lifestyle is like. I'll tell you how much I eat, drink, whatever. I'll, I'll tell you. It's my life. It's my world. Which is fine. Except for so often it is in juxtaposition to his throne and his kingdom. And we don't want him to, to mess with ours. There's a word for that. It's called rebellion. Any kingdom that sets up against that kingdom is in rebellion. And in Revelation, all the thrones and all the governments and all the kings, they're all gathered around bowing before the one throne. No matter how, how great they thought their kingdom was, it's nothing once they see the legitimate, ultimate reality of his throne. I've been with you a few weeks now to the point I can't say I, I love you all yet. I, I like you. I'm learning to like you. I hope that you're learning to like me. And this could end it all right here. But can I just tell you something? You're, you're great people. You're wonderful people. You, I, 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 do, I, I really do. I love you. I hope you hear that. And I hope you hear this. 
out of the context of love. But you are lousy gods. You really are. You are lousy gods. You're not meant to be a god. He's meant to be a god. And no wonder our lives get broken and beat up and torn up. When we think our kingdom can best be ruled by us, ourselves. He says, there's something that happens. There's something that Jesus does that no one else can do. No one else can open the scroll. You, could, you, can, you can rule and reign on this earth and find out you ruled the wrong thing. You can climb to the top of the ladder and find out your ladder was on the wrong building. You can, you're going to find out that he does things a whole lot better. When he opens the scroll, he, he does things all the money in the world can't buy. He does things all the success in the world can't buy. He, he's done things that all the, all the armies in the world can't, can't accomplish, all the governments. He, he is the great conqueror. So we're going to end our service today in a little different way. Uh, we're not going to sing a song at the end. I'm just going to ask you to contemplate with me the difference between your throne and your kingdom that you rule and reign and God's kingdom. And I want to ask you, how, how's it working for you? I mean, going through a pandemic, we, we know what a little stress and pressure can do to what our great kingdom that we thought, it, 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 can, it can't hold up under some of that stuff. Even if you think you're so strong in your kingdom. Remember last week there was these four horsemen that are galloping. When they land on your front yard, your kingdom's not holding up under that. A little tired, fatigued, anxious, fearful. You're trying to, you're trying to perform a role that you're not called to do. We're called to, to worship this throne, which doesn't mean just singing. Singing's part of it. It means adoring. It means giving our attention to. It means giving our surrender to. It means our heart is adoring. Our heart is being poured out to this, this throne, this kingdom, this, this lion lamb that, that rules and reigns. It means our attention, our focus, our minds are, are geared on that. You want to have a stronger marriage. You don't just Try to fix your spouse, you fix your attention on God and his plans and his ways. You want to be a better parent, you, you give your attention to, to God and his ways. You want to be a better person, you want to, you want to be a better steward of, of your resources. You want to be whatever you want to be. It's, you, you focus your attention because God holds the scroll. He gives meaning and purpose. And we check that out and we, we adore it and we give attention to it. So here's what I'd like you to do, if you wouldn't mind. I'd like you to just bow your heads with me today. If you're comfortable, close your eyes. We just have a few minutes, and I want to encourage you to make the most of it. Here's a question I want to ask, if you'd be so honest. If you would sit here today and you'd say, you know what? It, when you talk about it, it is time for me to let go of the throne, my own throne, 
and to adore and give my attention to and surrender to the throne of God. I need to, I need to, I don't know, I need to burn it, throw it away, whatever. I need to, I need to get rid of my throne and be done with it. If that's you, I wonder if you'd be brave enough just to raise your hand. Say, I'm, I'm done being the king, queen. I, just keep your hand up for a moment. No one's looking around, so they don't even know. But you, even if you're online at home, crazy, there, there's a number of us. I need to get rid of this. Thank you. You can put your hand down. If you raise your hand, I want you to hear this. You're in one of two categories. You're either a Christian, first category, you're a Christian. You've, you've made decisions before the Lord. You've surrendered to the Lord. You know who he is. You've just, you've just drifted. You've been, you've been enticed to think you can do it all on your own. When, you, when you're hanging on to God, you're, you're following with him. When you let go of God, you don't just automatically continue to follow. You, you drift the other way is what happens. If you get into a stream and you let go of a, of a dock or whatever you're holding on to, you're going to go with the current. For whatever reason, whatever reason, it's nobody's fault necessarily, you're drifting. And you may have just drifted a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit. But if you continue to drift, you're just going farther and farther away from, from the lamb, from the lion, from God. So there's a thing called repentance that is not just for pagans or those who've never heard of, of Jesus before. Repentance means I'm going one way, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to turn back to God. I'm going to look to God. I'm going to let him draw me in. Repentance doesn't, isn't a shame term. It's not a bad, dirty term. Repentance means this. God's not done with you yet. God's not finished with you. It means this. He can run your life better than you can yourself. He could do better with you than you can do. And you recognize that and you repent and you say, God, I'm going to grab on. If you don't know Jesus, if this is like first time you've ever heard this or maybe you were third grade and you made a, had a prayer and you think that was all it, but you've never really just thrown your sin, your brokenness on, on him, on the lamb that was slain. You've never really just received that gift that he purchased for you on the cross with his own blood. You've never asked Jesus just to come in and be your king, your Lord. You can do that today. The second category is you, you just don't know him. You can mark down today, this is the day that I gave it all to Jesus. So I'm going to pray a prayer with you, and then we're going to be dismissed. And I know I went a little bit long, and so you may not want to tarry for a bit. But if you do, um, if you're a Christian, I'd like you just to ask, just for a moment or two, ask God, what is the area you want me to shore up? Where am I drifting? Where am I on my own throne calling my own shots that you want to bring back into line with your kingdom? And answer yes to him. If you don't know Jesus, you can ask for forgiveness today and he'll forgive you. And you can ask him to come and reign and live in your heart and he'll do that. All he needs is you to invite him in. And then after I pray, if you want to just kind of hang out and answer those questions, if you want to be dismissed and, and go your way, 
Um, or you may want to come and, and celebrate and pray with somebody. We have a prayer team down here that loves to pray with you. And you can have someone pray with you and just help you in this section. But just at least hang on for a minute or two and let the Spirit speak to you. And then you respond as God would call you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for each person here. I really do. I do love these folks. And I, I know you love them. Lord, I just pray that you would pull back, pull back that curtain for just a minute. We're so, we're so enamored and enticed with our own world that we see. May we see the lion and the lamb, Jesus, who's done it all for us. And may we learn more and more to just simply say, yes, yes, Lord. Come into our life, we pray. In Jesus' name.